Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, this is Derwin with the Blanket Fortress of Solitude, and today I have with me an old friend from a long time ago. And my wife asked me, how do I know this guy? And I said, oh, I was really close friends with him for like eight weeks in 2007. And she says, oh, that's like most of your friends. And, you know, but that's the life of a military guy. And with me today, uh, all the way from South Korea, is my friend Sergeant Brandon, the United States Army. Hey, Brandon. Hey, what's up, man? So glad to have you on, and I'm excited to get your military story from front to back. Starting off in the beginning, where are you from? Uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Well, not really Huntsville. It's a, I'm out in the county, away from it. Normally, if you say Limestone County or, you know, Athens or East Limestone, nobody where that is. So you just say the big big city close to you. It's on I-65 between Birmingham and Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> So what was kind of growing up like for you? Like, what'd your parents do? What'd your family do? What's that all about? Uh, my mom worked in uh, doctor's offices, you know, all types growing up. She does uh, billing and coding. And then my dad worked at a steel company, got since, I don't know, ever since I was born, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. It was kind of normal, small town, small family. Uh, both of my parents are originally from Pennsylvania, but Thankfully, I didn't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> you're an immigrant to the South, is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> well, no, I was born in the South. My parents, <laughs> like, dad, dad said when he graduated uh, college, he's like, it's time to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's a Yankee refugee. Yes, very much. <laughs> uh, what, what did he always say? He said, there's nothing in the world that'll take me back either. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Blame <laughs> him there. But growing up, I went to a... a Pretty, pretty small school. I think my graduating class was like 87. So just kind of normal county stuff. Well, define normal county stuff. Like you had like a small, like like my graduating class was like 700. And <laughs> <laughs> my, my high school had 2,000 people in it. So what is normal county stuff to you? Like there was 87 people. Like was that all three grades? Was that just your senior year? That was just my senior senior class. There was like eighty seven of us. Eighty seven. Um, I say normal county stuff. It's like there wasn't really a whole lot to do, so we always we all just hung out at the gas station across from the school. <laughs> you know, normal delinquent stuff. We uh, uh, we picked up girls at the Taco Bell, so I understand. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a Taco Bell and a Sonic that were you know, burn up the highway between one or the other. So, I mean, that's, that's where all the pretty girls were at the Taco Bell, right? If you struck out, then you went to the Sonic. I understand. Yeah. So siblings. Yeah. I have a uh, one sister. She's uh, like three years older than I am. She's a school teacher at the, we didn't go to that elementary, but she uh, is the same school system. Okay. From Yeah. Where we both grew up. So what her, I... her husband's an electrician. Okay. My uh, my wife's a school teacher, so she's in good company. What does she teach? She either third or fourth grade. I can just never remember which one. Okay, so when did you enlist? I uh, enlisted in I think it's February two thousand seven. So I'm getting ready to hit the uh, uh, that fifteen year mark. So <laughs> five more to go. Wow. I was, you know, I graduated high. You know, all these people got all these like fantastic stories about you know wanting to you know do good things and. So they joined the service and people ask me, you're like, you know, what, why'd you join? And I was like, really? I was just kind of bored. <laughs> I was, I was working at the gas station across from my high school. So, you know, after school, I'd see all the people that were in the halls with me and they saw me working behind the counter and it just wasn't like, wasn't a good look. And one Friday night I was working and a recruiter called me up and he's like, Hey man, what are you up to? And I was like, not a lot. So... <laughs> Cause I had, I, I was not the, uh, the greatest student ever. So I college, I know at the time wasn't 
it just wasn't going to work. So, you know, here I am three years, the first go around. And then, you know, I'm sure you remember when we're deployed, they're like, Hey, if you want to reenlist, it's tax free bonus. I'm like, I remember on deployment, those guys and that the pitch begins with, Hey, tax free bonus. It ends with, if you get out of the military, you're going to be selling your butthole in a van down by the river. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> like, goddamn. <laughs> You'll be begging. Between those two. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just be like a cokehead? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, my story is not that inspiring. I was 19 years old. I was washing dishes part time. I was thoroughly enjoying recreational marijuana and going nowhere at the speed of light. And my yeah. mom is like, hey, you should get out now. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go to Iraq then. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah. so we met. When, when did we – we met in supply school. Yeah, it was, uh, gosh, like the end of April of 07. Yes. I graduated basic in like the middle of April of 07. And then we got to Fort Lee – my group got to Fort Lee and then, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's where I ran into you. Um, I don't think you weren't my roommate. I think you were across the hall. I was across the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I spoke about this on the previous episode where you and I would buy DVDs and just watch them. And that was kind of our thing was just to hang out, watch like angel and then something yeah. about puppets or something. And <laughs> Just kind of movie buddies. And that's how I remember you the best. What are your memories of uh, AIT? God, I remember you got me hooked on that show, Angel, to the yeah. point to like when I got downrange, I was like looking for stuff to watch and I got on Amazon. I just ordered the whole like box set and like binge watched it like all the way through. I remember people like going crazy when they got like the littlest bit of freedom after basic training i think that's one reason me and you kind of hit it off so well we we're both like i just kind of want to sleep you know <laughs> but we would go to the the px get a new movie we'd watch uh what's his name yeah yeah i remember watching him down a whole bottle of robitussin one time <laughs> i'm like oh this is gonna be good <laughs> And then we'd, uh, we'd go back and just kind of watch him. <laughs> you know, I forgot that he would hit Robitussin so yep. hard. Wow. Yeah. And I would see that again in Iraq. Because I, after I spent a couple years as a supply guy and then became a combat medic. And so I went out as a medic with a truck driving company. And for some reason, they allowed, they started allowing Robitussin and NyQuil with 10% alcohol at the PX where I was at. And I, yeah, I know. And <laughs> like I was, we were in those redeployment tents, and these people would like slam a whole bottle of fucking Nyquil. They'd be like, "Whoa, we're gonna party!" And I'm like, Mm-mm. <laughs> and they're just puking their guts out. And they're like, "Why does my head hurt?" I'm like, "What have we learned, <laughs> children?" <laughs> oh man, God, AIT was so long ago. Yeah, I mean, it's like yesterday, but then again, you think of it like, "Holy shit, that was 14 years ago." Yeah, I ran into one of the platoon sergeants years later, and he was my first sergeant at Fort Bliss in 2011, and I'm in formation, and this guy's like, Lester, come here! And I'm like, Jesus, no. And he goes, do what? Were you one of mine? I was like, I was one of Drill Sergeant Hook's first sergeant. He goes, I have a special interest in you now. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, no. I'm like, well, that's vaguely threatening. (laughs) Yeah, oddly enough, like I haven't ran into anybody from AIT. Yeah, because you gotta think of it all. like our our group was one of the last groups to go through without like the matured social media. Like there was a little bit of social media here and there, but it wasn't like I, I think I got everybody's emails on a notebook somewhere that ended up in the trash. Like so, after AIT, what happened to you? Got orders to Germany. Uh, oh, you lucky bastard. Well, I mean, like, like I, said, I grew up in a small county, never really, like, the traveling I did, you know, I went to D.C., I went to New York, and I went to the beach. Yeah. I, I think I went to New Orleans one time. <laughs> uh, 
you know, they're like, hey, you're going to Germany. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I uh, get over there and I remember my sponsor picks me up from the little reception building and like, oh, to preface this, I got off in Germany. My bags went to Iraq somehow. <laughs> so my sponsor picks me up and he's like, hey, you know, and I was with a mechanic or something. He's like, hey, you guys, uh, you know, excited to be here. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll, you know, try to travel around a little bit. And he's like, oh, well, we're deploying in three months. I'm like, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Oddly enough, we were going to Baghdad. So I guess I could have my luggage there. <laughs> they knew something you didn't. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> so, you know, the first three months in Germany, you know, it's just a blur. I get there, I'm 19 years old, the drinking age is 18. All the people in my unit had already been on one deployment before. You know, they had done all their traveling and stuff and they're getting ready for the next deployment. So maybe trying to be the tag along, like, yeah, let's go drink. <laughs> uh, it just wasn't, looking back, man, even though I'm not a travel, like not a traveler, like I, I could have done so much. I mean, you know, also I, I get it. Like it was, you were 19. It was the wartime army and it was, there was a quarter million ground troops and combat zones back then. And it wasn't if you went, but when and how many times and would you still be yourself when you came back? That was my worry. Funny how that works. Yeah. So how was, Uh, how was Iraq for you? Where were you guys at? We were uh, on, was it the victory base complex with some engineers and not like the, cool guy like blow blow shit up engineers I was not the hurt locker no i was with the guys that drove bulldozers oh <laughs> great dudes yeah as far as all things are considered i had definitely had an easier deployment than most you know we still had a, had a couple people got hit uh front of me got got hit but we didn't have any fatalities that's so. great that's good to hear definitely a plus um I did a lot of growing up, but I was still young and stupid at the same time. Well, I mean, you can only grow up so much at 20. Granted, you're in a combat zone. Okay, so after deployment, what happened? God, I remember the whole, like, reintegration, like, where they're trying to get you to, like, hey, you're not in combat anymore. You can relax. (laughs) And, like, we got back, and they kept the shop that open just for us because our, our bus was getting in so late. So, of course, there was like a, you know, turn our weapons in, dropped our bags, and there was like a giant migration to the shop at so we could all go get some drinks. Yeah. I want to say our first formation was at like 9 o'clock the next day. They found one of the uh, heavy equipment operators in the mail room, like, naked. (laughs) (laughs) By himself? That's okay. (laughs) Uh, But... We when we got back, there was snow on the ground, so it, it was a little like alarming. <laughs> so, well, okay, so he didn't have like hypothermia or anything. He was fine. No, thankfully, I guess it was. I, I don't know what how he just give him some pants and some coffee. So we get done with, with reintegration. You know, me and some me and some friends took a uh, four day pass to go to Prague for New Year's. That was a blast. How we. Was Man, it, it was crazy. Like, we we had, like, we were going into this city, like, blind. We had no idea what, if any, events or parties they had going on. And so we're walking around. We have dinner at some Asian restaurant, which to this day, like, the best, like, white tablecloth Chinese food I've ever eaten. Wow. I'm, egg rolls were, like, the size of a dollar bill. <laughs> it, it was just crazy. And then, um, so we come out of dinner on New Year's Eve and we come around to like the city square and it's like just a huge, like open air concert going on. They had like some techno EDM guys up on stage and, you know, a couple of guys were going to get a bottle. We were all going to go back to the hotel room. And all of a sudden I see this, this guy like run over to a car, light something and then run off the other way. Those, uh... <laughs> artillery shell fireworks lit one under a car oh no yeah we uh i was like we 
So did it like blow up the car? Was it by the gas tank? What happened? I, I turned around. I didn't see it the, actually see it go off, but I think most of it just kind of shot out from under it. So thankfully. it wasn't that intense of an explosion. It didn't hit no, the right spot. Okay. Holy fuck. <laughs> but it was still like, we, we got to go because at this point, it's not going to get better anytime soon. That's not the beginning of a good day. <laughs> like, that's how the riot begins. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, as we were walking away back towards our uh, hotel room, we saw, you know, we didn't see it. We heard it a couple more times. Like, they weren't done. So, <laughs> we, you know, we were not going to not gonna make a target of ourselves. Okay. So, after that, was that your only deployment? Did you have more? No, I had more. Uh, so after you went to drunk, Haiti, right? Yeah. Okay, tell me because like I was, I remember being in Iraq when you were in Haiti during the earthquake. So tell me about that. It was what January 2010. You know, they had that massive like 7.0 earthquake. We got the alert that one of our I was with the uh, MP company at Fort Bragg. So we got the alert that one of our platoons was going to go down and just kind of help provide security. And then next thing you know, we're packing the entire company to go. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Went home after we got alerted, started packing, shaved my head because I didn't want to get lice. And like, so we get there, I think like four, maybe five days after the earthquake. And um, getting there was hard because they were just sending everything. You know, they, every, just about everybody was gone. I mean, they sent an entire infantry brigade for some reason. Like, you know, I knew guys from Bragg, from the medic. I, I there were medics I knew in Iraq that mm-hmm. went home early, late '09, and then when the earthquake popped off, they packed up and went down to Haiti with you guys. We spent the night, one night, like on the tarmac of of Fort Bragg's airport, like waiting to leave, and. They, this is January in North Carolina. It was cold. Not great. Like, not not great. No. And then they figured out, like, hey, there wasn't going to be, we don't know when the next flight's going to be. Because Haiti's airport is only so big. And between the different military organizations flying down there, all the civilian NGO organizations, other countries were flying, you know, the, the airport was so packed, like, they couldn't couldn't find space for us to land. So they sent us back to our room. We came back in the next day. And then they're like, hey, all right, you're going tonight. And then we spent the night at the uh, PAX terminal, which is like where they all lined up for to do their uh, airborne operations, like practice jumping and stuff. Sure. So, and then the next day we left North Carolina. It was 28 degrees. We landed in Haiti. It was 92. Fuck. <laughs> so there was a lot of... Uh, shell shock there that is jet uh, lag (laughs) yeah we uh slept on the airfield at the civilian airport for five days no shade just open so many people were just getting roasted i don't think really they anybody knew we were there we just kind of showed up we moved from the airport to a cow pasture oh no uh yeah uh so we're setting up, we didn't even have any of our gear. So we're just kind of like clearing the area. We set up concertina wire. Uh, they dug a, a trench with a backhoe and they took, you know, one of the metal folding chairs, punched a hole through it for a sledge with a sledgehammer. And that was our toilet. <laughs> Made you miss Iraq, didn't it? <laughs> Haiti was definitely like, not, yeah. That was my hardest deployment, like mentally, because <laughs> we didn't have a job. We didn't have anything to do. We were, you know, we were there for four and a half months and the amount of work or some aid that we actually did could have been done in three weeks. But like I said, I don't think anybody knew we were there to start with. And then everybody kept leaving us behind. Like I said, we moved into a cow pasture and we finally got some tents, but we didn't get enough tents for everybody in our company. So some people were sleeping in the tent, some people were sleeping out of the tent. And then when it rained the first time, that's when we found out that tarantulas don't like rain. Uh, They would come out, come out of the ground and then like scurry for cover. And, you know, they found our tents and they would migrate into our tents. And it was so, you know, that coupled with not, not really having anything to do down there. No clue when we were going home. 
pretty rough mentally. And plus seeing, saw some pretty not good sights, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, Do you want to get into those or no? You don't have to if you don't want to. I'll share one story. We were, I was in the headquarters platoon and we were just essentially just driving around for no reason. Sure. I'm sure there was a reason behind it, but there was never really any reason behind it. And there was always a traffic jam at the airport roundabout outside the airport and we were going around the roundabout we we're sitting there i'm like man something stinks like worse than like the normal like oh, no smelly smell you know yeah and we're we keep getting closer to the circle closer to the circle and it keeps getting worse and then like we finally get there and we see it and there's like a dead body like burning on the on the sidewalk oh no gets better uh, <laughs> there's a guy walking around with a cigarette in his mouth and he's like trying to asking people for a lighter patting himself down like checking his pockets and my buddy knows sees what's about to happen and he's like hey hey and he like holds up his lighter he's like look i got a lighter and the guy's like no thanks i got it and then he lights a cigarette off the he lit a cigarette off a burning corpse yeah holy fuck (laughs) people are like oh those those poor people of haiti and like i feel bad for him but like at some point you kind of got to I feel bad for some of them, not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourselves, like kind of, you know, stand up for yourself. That's, you know, it, you're going to have to probably edit this part out, but like that's, that's my main thing with like nation building and trying to prop up democracy is like, you can't do that. Democracy has got to come from within. Like you, you just got to, you know, people got to want it. You can't tell them they should have it. Do you mind if I leave that part in? Because that's actually probably a really good message given that we're both... I agree, and we're both veterans of the war on terror of the whole nation building enterprise that we did for twenty years. Yeah, that's fun. Wow, yeah, figure it off for burning corpse. That is some hardcore shit. Yeah, um, <laughs> it it was just a whole like mind game. Um, you know, we were passed around between all the battalions in the eighty second. Got us information. They all told us the same thing. Like, hey, you're going home with us. Start packing your bags. And then, like, at this point, we we're, were back to living on the airfield, and we're like, oh, there goes the airplane. <laughs> uh, I guess we're not getting it, off the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was just, that was pretty rough. Um, wow. We ended up flying out June 1st, and I re- remember my, like, last kind of mental breakdown I had down there. Uh, you know, they pulled us all in for a meeting. Uh, I guess there was a National Guard unit that had got sent there like after everybody else. So they're giving us these notes and they're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tear everything down on the airfield. And I'm like, okay, this is getting good. He said, and then we're going to move to where the National Guard is. And I'm like, but we're on the airfield. The planes are right here. I start like catastrophizing everything. And then the National Guard's going to drive the buses to bring us back to the airport. And I'm like, I, I lose it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, am I the only one that sees what's about to happen here? My NCO was like, get out of the tent. I was like, no, we're, we're going to break down everybody else's tents and equipment that they just left here and said, screw it. Somebody will figure it out. So we're doing that for the entire Fort Bragg that flew down here. And I said, and then we're going to go go over there and we're going to spend two days with the National Guard. And they're going to be like, you know what? We need you guys here for security. And I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm like, I'm going to smoke. And I just walked off. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. Sometimes you just got to lose your shit, which I always tell people my favorite part about being a soldier is being a veteran. <laughs> uh, but uh, we actually we actually ended up leaving. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, you know, January 15th to June 1st. Um, it's, I yeah, that sounds like a fucking horrific deployment. What happened to you after that? Uh get back to brag really kind of at a low point in my career didn't really have any drive or ambition um like for me at this point i knew like the writing was on the wall because i hadn't i you know i was failing pt tests uh you know flirting with failing tape and then i got got sick uh a couple times um i have diverticulitis so like what's that it, it's, it's apparently it's an old white person disease <laughs> uh, but i got it when i was in my early 20s uh 
it's where like there's pockets on the sides of your colon and if something gets in there and it doesn't get flushed out it'll get infected and you know your intestinal tract shuts down so this um, happened right after haiti pretty shortly after haiti you don't um, say. I, started, I started feeling sick um later that fall um and into the next I'm not super shocked that after you spent six months on a cow pasture in a third world country where people are lighting cigarettes off of burning corpses, that you all of a sudden picked up a weird disease. Yeah. Oh, and we were taking the, the malaria medicine too. So I'm sure that that was good. Sure. Um, yeah. The one they stopped using because it caused brain defects. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm addicted to mustard now, by the way. So that, that's another development from that that time is that like an emotional or a chemical dependency uh i think it's chemical like i if i don't i don't know what it is like i'm not sitting here chugging four bottles of french's mustard a day but like i get kind of i don't know a little ragey it's like it like my wife knows like not to run out of mustard it's just not (laughs) So you go through withdrawals if you don't have enough mustard. That's the most oh. redneck shit I ever heard. <laughs> like I am by myself in this room. I have two of these. Good lord! Yeah. For our listeners' benefit, those are huge, huge bottles of mustard he just pulled out of his refrigerator. Yeah. I. <laughs> so, to recap. Out of Haiti, you picked up a weird disease and a chemical dependency of mustard. That's yeah. That's 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 definitely some redneck stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I completely like the mustard one is definitely it's got to be a side effect of the uh, the I think it was mefloquine, the the malaria or, thing, or doxycycline, one of the two. Because I took one in Haiti, and then. Later on, I got deployed to Afghanistan, and they're like, hey, here's this malaria medicine. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I'll uh, just get malaria. It's fine. Yeah. It's treatable. <laughs> yeah. I mean. <laughs> I'll roll the dice. Yeah. Uh, uh, Was that man. around when you met your wife? So my wife and I actually know each other from high school. Oh. Uh, granny. Yeah. She's uh, five years younger than I am, so maybe high school for me, junior high for her, but we never started, uh, you know, talking or dating or whatever until I think it was 20, it was like late 2010, early. T- no, it was like April of 2011. Okay. I don't know. God, I'm all messed up. Yeah. So, so, somewhere, somewhere around there. In your defense, it's probably like one in the morning where you're at, right? In Korea. It is. It's like eleven, maybe. Okay. Yeah, it's eleven o'clock. Okay. Yeah, I think you're allowed to be a little. You've had a, a busy weekend. You're allowed to be a little bit tired, and and you've got two little girls, right? I got a boy and a girl. Okay. Yeah, Tell me about uh, them. I got a, a seven-year-old boy, John Patton. He uh, he was diagnosed with uh, autism like okay. two years ago. Uh, so just dealing with. You know the military, tricare, healthcare, all that stuff has been—it's been a challenge, an adventure. <laughs> yeah, and then I have a four-year-old girl, Molly Caroline, who is just a ball of energy. Like, just a pistol, huh? Attitude—it's—it's it's ridiculous. Um, she's ridiculous. But, uh, <laughs> all you know, the best women are. <laughs> you know, both our kids were—you know—kind of surprises not saying they're uh-ohs but well any any child is a blessing from the lord of course but sometimes blessings are planned more than others yes <laughs> it, it's been a trip man uh what was it like and you and i understand if you don't remember so the night you brought your, your son home right what was it what was that like for you i'm sure that was quite the day it was like holy crap i have another human that i helped create to like <laughs> care for and provide for <laughs> um like it matters it, if you die now <laughs> yeah essentially 
like it kind of matters when you get married if you die like i married so i'm like oh it kind of matters but she's also smarter and more successful than i am so my wife would be fine but like if there was a baby like holy shit would it matter if i died so yes yeah but uh you know my wife bless her heart she's got scoliosis and spina bifida or she's got the parenting rods in her back sure um so with both kids, she couldn't have a natural birth or an epidural for a C-section. She had to get put under. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, that was really tough. Like, especially now with, with, um, you know, the way like people suck. How so? Uh, so like with the, the, you know, the new mom community and like, you know, formula's bad and all this and that, like she she had a, understandably had a rough time, you know, coming to terms with the aspect of it to like where, you know, she felt guilty for something she couldn't control. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't, that wasn't cool. And like, you know, we were at Fort Rucker when we got married and when we had our first kid and no, man, pilots or something else, but pilots wives are like a whole nother level of caring. It's, it's ridiculous in in uh, my experience people often look for reasons to look down on other people because they're desperate to bring themselves up by tearing others down and yeah i've and, and again the lord hasn't blessed us with a child yet but from i i have heard stories much like you said about your wife where women for some reason want to tear down others because you know for whatever reason right like oh yeah. you're not good enough for whatever and in my head i'm yeah. like oh you you baked the cake for nine months and then it's alive and you're alive and you're keeping the baby alive and i'm just supposed to like make money and then that's it but yeah that's like the end of mine <laughs> <laughs> if there's a bump in the night i grab the baseball bat or the shotgun depending on how loud the bump is yes yes but I mean, like I saw, uh, uh, it was funny, like I saw a, a TikTok the other day and some woman was going off like, she's getting mad about body image and she's like, I don't even know who told women that we had to weigh this much. And like some dude cut in and he's like, women. <laughs> it was women told women how much they had to weigh and what they had to look like. So he's like, he's right. Yeah. For the I most mean- part. It's probably like a BMI index done by like a doctor or a scientist or something, but that has more to do with like, you know, heart strain and and diabetes and things, which I'm a big fan of, you know, I'm as a civilian, you know, I, I, and especially during the pandemic, I uh, learned what good scotch tasted like. So uh, I, you know, could use, stand and lose 20 pounds because apparently I gained 20 pounds and you know, you should take care of yourself to a point where you're, if you're so overweight, then it becomes a liability to others when you can change that yourself. And I feel like it's your responsibility to maintain yourself, to not be a burden on others if possible. However, that doesn't mean you have to fit a certain Barbie doll type measurement either. Right. You know, uh, so after Haiti, changed units, went to Afghanistan. And then after Afghanistan, um, you want to talk about Afghanistan at all out of the three, my, my best deployment. If that, you know, some people hear that and they're like, what? And like, yeah, it it was, it was great. Um, we had, you know, one incident where our, uh, company commander got, they were doing like a, a FET mission at the time, which is female engagement team. Okay. They took fire, but our security team handled that pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so other than that, had a, a fantastic chain of command. Uh, the whole, you know, had a great commander, great first sergeant. Um, you know, granted, when I got to the unit, I, you know, the writing was on the wall. They were about to chapter me out for, you know, not passing PG tests. So I knew the, uh, the S4 NCO on pretty good terms. And I'm like, Hey man, I heard y'all are going to Afghanistan. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, take me with you. Like, <laughs> I, I, I need to go. And he's, 
okay. And granted, at this time, the wars had started to draw down the first time. Sure. So people were dodging them, dodging deployments anyway. So he's like, yeah, you know, he put my name on the roster and um, they're doing all this pre-deployment training. And my commander was like, who is, like, she hadn't seen me. And I've been in the unit for like two months at this point. Um, first time she saw me was at a, a weapon, weapons ball range. And she's like, oh, it's you. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, automatically she thought I was a dirtbag, which rightfully so. Um, I, I can't falter for that. But we got, so we got downrange, got into Kandahar. And uh, the NCO that I was supposed to be working with got taken and put on another base so it was just me running running supply for the battalion hhd company at, at, at the time people i don't don't know inside the hhd we have you know, the company command team which is usually a captain and a sergeant first class and then i have the colonel the sergeant major a handful of majors all the staff sections and like i'm having to provide for and take care of pretty much all their needs for them like as a specialist so that was nerve-wracking like I sat down one night and I'm looking at stuff and um, the person that got taken out and put at a different camp like basically just signed for the books and then left so everything was under my commander's name but she didn't know where everything was and I sat her down and I said hey you know where's this 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 and this and she's like she like you can see the panic in her face she's like I'm about to lose my paycheck for the next 10 years oh, <laughs> I'll just sell a kidney. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, so there's two things that can happen here. I said, we can go down the long drawn out investigation process for all these items. Or I said, you can just kind of let me do my thing and I'll give you updates sporadically. She's like, okay, let's see what you can do. (laughs) Um, It's all hope in your eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I kind of just like took it and ran with it. and I, I don't know what it is, but like when I'm downrange, I drop weight like crazy, mainly because it's, you know, a hundred degrees wearing full body armor. You're going to lose some weight, but like, I don't, I don't eat like much while I'm deployed. Um, so I was just, you know, in the span of nine months, I, I dropped 50, 60 pounds gained you know, 10 pounds back, you know, 10 or 15 pounds of muscle back. So, so you'd recover. You know, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I surprised her because I remember like at the, towards the end of the deployment, you know, I had ended up turning in $6 million worth of uh, equipment. Holy shit. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember it was, it was Christmas of 2012. You know, we're watching a TV, you know, watching a movie or something on uh, the TV in the, in the, not in the in the talk, but like in another area. She's like, "Hey, did you hear about so and so's property investigation?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure did." She's like, I'm "Sure glad we didn't have any of those." I'm like, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> she's like, everybody kind of left the room, and she's like, "Hey, how many like could we have had?" And I was like, six of them. Two of them would have been sensitive items." And she's like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> It was my first time getting like a taste of autonomy. And after that, I kind of just ran with it. Um, well, you were the guy. I, yeah, I got uh, promoted to corporal in theater, came back, you know, went to, uh, I made made points for E5 in March of 13, you know, went to uh, BLC. Then after that, I, I got sent to Fort Rucker. Uh, okay. And I was the supply sergeant for the aviation NCO Academy. So I was the only supply person as a brand new sergeant. I was the most junior person there. Pretty sure even the civilian worked there outranked me. (laughs) (laughs) The cat that Um, lived in the rooftop outranked you. Yeah. And it's funny, like I showed up and the the commandant at the time was like a 32, 34 year sergeant major. I meet him and, you know, I kind of introduce myself. He asked me about deployments. I'm like, I've had three. And he's like, how long have you been in? I said, six, six years. He said, oh, so you're the war baby. I was like, 
Yes. So, and that, like, he still calls me that to this day. Um, but Fort Rucker was a, it's definitely a hidden gem in the army. You know, what tons of outdoor stuff, lots to do. And the post is so small and officer heavy that they actually take time to plan out and run the army programs correctly. Uh, so like the family MWR is done right. The FRGs are done right. And it, 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 it was a blast. It's not uh, just like cocaine and hookers. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it, it was really a good time. Hold, um, hold on a second, Brandon. <laughs> yes, my love. Oh, you brought me breakfast. <laughs> Brandon's in South Korea right now, and it's like midnight. That's my wife. Hi, Brandon. Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> See, I told you I married up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in just in case she does listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But from, you know, like I said, I got there and I still, you know, they let me run the supply section as best I saw fit. So by the time I left there, you know, I had four years of running stuff how I wanted it. Then I go back to Fort Bragg and I get put in a line unit. And my, uh, the sponsor they gave me was a specialist that was getting, getting out of the army. So he didn't really, um, granted he had his own personal stuff going on. Sure. Uh, I was back to working for people that, you know, one of the worst parts about the army, like I understand the necessity of moving people around, but like moving around and having to prove people, prove to prove yourself to people, you know, every three years. You were like almost 10 years in at this point i'm guessing you had done three deployments you had saved a commander's entire career from her property book going missing you gave her a six million dollar christmas gift that's yeah. i'm pretty sure if you need a body buried she's a lady you call <laughs> yeah. she will without question be like let's go to the desert man <laughs> well it's funny like her uh so her husband was in and we uh when my wife and i got married we went down to the beach and they, he was at a station down around the beach um, sure. and they met us for dinner one night. And uh, he's like, how's Fort Rucker? And I was like, eh, cause at this point I had left, just left Fort Bragg, I op tempo, just, just continuously moving. And he's like, well, do you want to go to Afghanistan again? I like looked at my wife and I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we got a spot, you know? And, and I was like, uh, like I, I was on my honeymoon and I'm sitting here talking to this guy <laughs> about like, you're leaving. a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I was, don't know how well that would have gone on my honeymoon. If I ran into some guy like, Hey, you want to come to Afghanistan? <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, I mean, they were, they were great people. We still, you know, we still stay in touch to this day. Did you go to Afghanistan with them? No, I didn't. Uh, he was like, "Well, you gotta, you gotta jump out of planes because." Oh, know, fuck that! <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Nah, it's not worth it." No. <laughs> like, like it, but the stories he told me when he got back, I'm like, "God, I should have gone." <laughs> okay, so let's take it up to March of 2020. You got the wife, you got the two kids. Where are you? Yeah. So. uh I'm back at Fort Bragg. I had already worked myself up from, you know, being a supply sergeant and I got promoted to staff sergeant. And then I got put in the, uh, the S4 shop as the staff, one of the staff primaries. So I'm overseeing like the supply realm for a whole battalion, which was pretty nerve wracking at first. But, you know, once again, I was lucky, lucky enough to have good leadership and kind of just ran with it um, it was a nerve-wracking month i get it <laughs> yeah well no this is this is all before that we oh, uh okay. yeah we had units that got alerted to go to the border uh and my yeah. office counterpart at the time was was not there so I, I ended up sending you know three units to the border completely by myself so that was this is 2019 yeah this is all like leading up to covid um, okay Anyways, my, my replacement had shown up, so I started transitioning out with him. They didn't have a job for me yet, so I got moved to the brigade headquarters, kind of helping run supply for the whole brigade. And then uh, 
March 2020 rolls around, we were all planning for this big exercise in Germany or in Europe. Two weeks later, COVID happened and they're like, hey, we're not going to Europe anymore. And I was like, yes. <laughs> also, Europe's closed and the borders yeah. are closed and America's closed and there's a virus and we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so at the time, like I said, I'm working at the brigade headquarters. The battalion that I used to work for and parts of our brigade uh, go up to New York City to set up this giant hospital at the convention center in down like two blocks away from Times Square. They're there for like a week. And then I remember we're sitting. I remember that field hospital out in, in Central Park, right? So now we were at the Javits Convention Center. Okay. So we were sitting down and like the whole time quarantine was going on, you know, our, our son was in preschool at the time. So the pre, you know, the preschool got shut down. My wife got furloughed. For some reason she never got approved for any of the additional unemployment income that was promised. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of a mess. Uh, but our neighbors across the street, the guy was in the army too. They had a kid that was a year older than my son and they had just had a baby. So we were like, you know, we'd have dinner over there. They'd have dinner at our house, just kind of back and forth hanging out. Cause like we had to socialize with somebody else. Otherwise we are going to end up killing each other. hundred um, percent. Yeah. yeah. But we, uh, you know, we cooked out for, we cooked grilled for my wife's birthday and we're sitting down on the table and the phone rings and it's my old company commander. He's like, Hey, you need to start packing. You're going to New York. I'm like, I don't work for you anymore. He's like, no, you're coming. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I get my stuff packed. They're like, Hey, we've already got you a rental car. Um, you and like six other people are driving up in, in two minivans and then you're going to go meet up with the rest of the team. That's already there. Uh, we get there and like, it's, it's the same thing as Haiti. They're just like throwing everything they can, like trying to kill the virus or, or whatever. And, uh, we had at one point our battalion staff team of like maybe 20 people was coordinating treatment facilities with upwards of a thousand troops. Wow. And like, it was, it, we were spread like all over the Northeast. They had, cause they would break them up into teams and like, all right, you six people are going to go stay at this hotel and then augment this hospital or you're going to go set up this clinic here. And like, it was, it was ridiculous. I had, um, I, like I said, they gave me a rental car in between driving up there, me and my clerk at the time, she had the other rental car. Uh, we were driving medical supplies from the warehouse to the clinics, picking up the test kits, dropping the test kits off. You know, I put in, in a 29 day span, I put 3000 miles on that minivan. But we, you know, it, it was neat. I got to see, I still, you know, Got to see all the landmarks. I couldn't go in any of them. Of I mean, bring us up to speed to, so is, was that, was there anything else cool that happened during the initial COVID sort of um, response? Not really. Um, you know, we had set up like a 1500 bed hospital, expect, expecting like this massive influx of sick and dying people. They only ever had 150 patients, but it, it was, it was neat. Like I said, I still got to drive around. I, I saw parts of the country I'd never seen before. Sure. Uh, you know, went to Philly, went to Boston. Uh, I went all over the place. Uh, yeah. So that was that was really neat. Um, I, I do and, remember in the beginning, early days, they were saying that there'd be like 15 million dead Americans by June of 2020. And I'm like, yeah. oh, shit, <laughs> this is the big one. And I've yeah. got one of those work from home jobs. So the wife, she's a school teacher. And so she taught from home and I work from home. And yeah. they're like, just stay home. And anyway, so where are you now? I'm in uh, South Korea. How is that? Koreans are still like really scared of COVID, it seems like. Sure. So a lot of stuff still closed down. They have certain rules. Like if you're in a party of more than two, 
a certain percentage have to be vaccinated after six o'clock. It's a flow chart to follow that. Yeah, it's and the the rules change like every every Wednesday. So they have a map that comes out every Wednesday. There's a map. <laughs> map, yeah, that shows like the off limits districts based off of the COVID cases. Sure. And it's something ridiculous, like 50 cases in 100,000. Every Wednesday, we got to look at the map and kind of see what we're going to do that week, where we can go that week. I guess we're going to the PX again. Yeah, um, so I ended up, you know, enrolled in college again. Uh, I mean, as you can see, I picked up fishing and still play golf. So. so for our listeners, behind Brandon is, much like you would see in an old Scottish castle, is two bass pro sort of fishing rods going to the right and then two more above that and sort of a crossed swords thing much like a conquering warrior would yeah so you just running a supply office now just kind of i'm at a i'm working at the uh brigade level okay Uh, i'm work. i'm not in the s4 shop i'm in the uh sport plans and operations shop and it's it it's a whole new like new realm because uh, we're, yeah, we're working on like the strategic level uh, of plan operations. And that's just something I haven't, like, I haven't been a part of it yet. And it, it's pretty. You've been a boots on the ground sort of guy. like Yeah, it, it's been humbling. Like, hey, are you dummy, you still have a lot to learn. <laughs> and that makes sense. You're at the back five of your career, right? Like you got five big ones left to go to hit that magic yeah. 20. And at this point, it makes sense for you to be. You know, you've mastered all of the ground level things and now you're looking at the big level stuff. So yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. Like I But the work, like it is just it like I said before, it's it's humbling because like I still have, you know, so much to learn about planning and operating at the str- strategic level. So I I'd like to wrap it up with this. What's your favorite part of being a dad? Uh just hearing them laugh. Yeah. Um, and then especially like knowing that they're taking care of they're well provided for um to, but mainly like the, the best part is like talking to your kids and especially if, if you can get them to laugh and they just keep rolling and rolling and it's and nothing beats it um yeah sharing sharing memories or you know of, of course is great sharing memories with your kids but like most of the time like the memories you're going to hold on to the most is like are the good ones you know you're going to remember them you know cackling over a corny joke you told or you know whatever the case may be. Brandon I think we're wrapping up there uh, I want to thank you t- for your service to the country you have been on the ground floor of most American operations for 15 years and uh, I hope to see you again. If you're ever in the Midwest, let me know. And I've got that season five of Angel on DVD still, and we'll have to watch it again for old time's sake. It's so with that in mind, my name is Derwin from the Blanket Fortress of Solitude, and we will see you again next Monday morning at 0700. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, buddy. <laughs>